family. My guest today is the Prince of Broken Hill himself, Matt Garrick. Mate, thanks for coming on the show. Geez, that's a fair wrap up, mate. But uh, thank you very much. I'll take anything I can get. <laughs> well deserved. I reckon. Uh, I reckon you're a uh, unofficial member of the uh, tourism board of Broken Hill. Yeah, look, that wasn't intentional, but I didn't shut up about the place in there, did I? So uh, I actually came home to a to a letter from the mayor. So that was that was quite humorous. Uh, there you go. So you thank me for uh, promoting Broken Hill in a, in a good way. So maybe I did something right by them. <laughs> Um, mate, you might not realise this, but we're actually speaking today due to a, uh, I guess you'd call it a mutual acquaintance of ours. Um, a few weeks ago, you were actually chatting to my little brother and he, he's the one that mentioned to me, oh, Matt, I reckon, uh, I reckon Matt's got a good story. You should have a chat to him. And I thought, you know what? I'll reach out to him. Lo and behold, here we are today. <laughs> well, there you go. I wasn't aware of that, but no, gl- glad to be here. Ah, good, good stuff. Um, now, mate, there's going to be a few people listening today, I reckon, that are here purely for the Big Brother chat, and we will get there eventually. Um, but I'm guessing for now we'll move away from that because I reckon the last four to five months have probably been a bit of a whirlwind for you. Are you happy to just be done with it all, be back in Broken Hill, sort of calming down after it all? Uh, yeah, it's definitely, in a, in a weird way, uh, it's been a bit of a relief to sort of, I guess, close this chapter. Um, it was a massive week uh, last week in Sydney for the finale. Just a lot, a lot going on. Very busy week, so it's definitely good to yeah get get, get home and get back into uh, into real life. I start back at work tomorrow, so that's going to suck a bit. But uh, no, it's been it's been yeah a roller coaster, but a very fun one uh, to be on. Yeah, bloody yes. Um, now, mate. Besides being an unofficial member of the tourism board for Broken Hill, what else goes on in the life of Gary? I work at. Uh, one of the local mine sites here. I'm a shift electrician, so I do uh, a continuous five day on, five day off roster. So it's pretty pretty good little number. And obviously, I work weekends and that, but I, I get um, paid pretty well, and I get pretty good holidays as well. So it's uh, it's a pretty good gig. Uh, apart from that, I uh, love love my sport. Play still try and run around and get a kick of the footy every every now and then. It's actually been called off out here this year due to oh, right, uh, up there as well. Yeah, yeah, due to uh, coronavirus, obviously, because uh, we're in New South Wales, so everything going on in Sydney affects us, and we're on the same under the same restrictions and everything. So the call was made to uh, to can the season, unfortunately, but still trying to uh, keep fit and active and go for a kick with my mates when I can, and enjoy going for a run and a swim and uh, get on the pushy when I can as well. So yeah, trying to uh, keep a few kilos off at least for a few years yet. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, you mentioned having a kick with your mates. Um, I'm reliably told you're a bit of a legend down there at the North Broken Hill Bulldogs. Um, <laughs> was Big Brother just a, a cover up for you trying to recruit the big fella Dan up there next season? 100%, mate. It was just a, all a recruitment drive, me going on there. But uh, I actually took, as you probably saw, a couple of uh, our footy club singlets in there and. Uh, our main sponsor, the Demo Club, got a got a, a nice prominent shot there, and they're forever grateful because they've never had so many people see their logo in one night. They reckon so <laughs> free advertising. But yeah, look, I'm definitely trying to get Big Dan up for a kick, but uh, we'll see what happens. He'll probably be bloody trapped in Melbourne still. Yeah, mate, we'll probably still be here down in Melbourne until about 2023 with the rate we're going. Yeah, but, it's uh, going crazy. <laughs> that's another story. Um, now, mate, you mentioned it before. Am I right in saying that you're a uh, like me, a keen triathlete. I've seen your name popping up on uh, Lionel Sanders photos, liking them. We follow you. I've noticed yeah. we follow a few of the same pages. Yeah, definitely, mate. I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. I haven't actually competed 
uh, in one, but it's definitely something that I want to look at trying to do uh, once once I'm all wrapped up with footy. Um, yep. I don't get on the bike um, much when, when footy's on. Um, but, yeah, in the off-season, I, I definitely, yeah, try and get down the pool, get on the pushy. And, uh, yeah, would definitely want to move into that into that field to sort of keep those uh, competitive fires burning. I, I don't know if I'm quite good enough, a good enough swimmer yet to compete, but working on it every day. We're a rare breed as triathletes. There's not many people that understand this, but we, uh, we've got to stick together. <laughs> nah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I, I just love, uh, yeah, particularly swimming and on the bike. It's just a bit of a release, you know. I just chuck, chuck some tunes in and, uh, and just go for a couple of hours, and I love it. Yeah, 100%. What's your, uh, what's your favourite leg, the swim, the run, or the ride? Uh, probably the ride. Always, always, always been a keen uh, cyclist. Did a, don't know if you've heard of pedal pre before. Um, did that back in, in uh, my high school days, where it's like a little, it's like a tricycle thing um, that you yep. enclose. And we uh, did a couple of twenty-four hour races. So oh, yeah. always been a keen, keen cyclist, and one of these nerds that sits up watching the Tour de France every year. So that's definitely my, uh, my favourite and my strongest leg. Yeah. Oh mate, that's that's me for sure. I've been, uh, I got a mate. Liam Cash and he's the same. We, I, I don't know anyone else really that likes the Tour de France in terms of my mates, and we're the only yeah. ones that do. And we're just messaging each other, like counting down the days till it, it starts up again. <laughs> oh, I'm bloody excited! Nah, mate, I, I love it. Me and the uh, and the better half, Jess. She she really enjoys it too. She misses Phil Liggett though. She just used, used to love <laughs> listening to to Phil commentate. So I yeah. actually watch it and really enjoy the competition so I actually just love looking at the scenery and listening to Phil talk. <laughs> Mate, I can't blame her. There's smooth stones of Phil. It's good enough for oh, anyone. A, what a man. <laughs> exactly. And, um, mate, speaking of rare operators like triathletes, one of the names that comes to mind as probably the, the rarest of rare operators is, uh, is Shane Warne. Um, and it's judging, <laughs> I'm judging by your passion for a weekly tradition of Warney Wednesdays, you're a big fan of his work. Oh, mate, you call me the prince. Well, Warney's the king, mate, in, in my life. Uh, there, there's the real royalty there is, is the great Shane Keith Warne. But uh, I know he's had a couple of missteps in his life, but I just, through the 90s, he was like one of my heroes. And just even like through, the, in, as I'm older, getting older, I probably appreciate what he could do with a cricket ball even more. He was just an absolute wizard. I know he's had his off-field indiscretions, but I love the man. <laughs> On the field, mate. You, you go back and you watch that ball of the century, and I don't know how it's, how it's possible with physics, but it moves from here to over there in, a, in the space of about two seconds. It's insane. And like looking back now, we, I don't think I realised at the time how spoilt I was as a kid watching up, growing up watching that bloody Australian cricket team because they were just... Yeah unbelievable like five or six of the best players we've ever had in the one side like in it's the one insane. era spot on um mate so you're a reality tv star now we'll, we'll put it there <laughs> you've got the label but um uh, I, I reckon you've hit the big time i reckon out of the the thirty-seven thousand followers that you've got now only a handful of them know that you actually made your on-screen debut a bit earlier um uh, you're a panelist on one of abc shows i think it was called think tank and it it may not have had a long run, but bloody hell, it was a, it was a good one in the short time it was on. How did that come about? Uh, so this this whole thing, I guess, started um, actually with I uh, went on the chase uh, Channel 7's quiz show. My okay, uh, yep. my fiance actually applied on on my behalf. I didn't know that she'd done it, and I got a phone call from ITV, and they said, "Oh, can we um, do an interview tomorrow?" I said, uh, "What for?" And they're like. Well, we received your application. I was like, for what? And they <laughs> said, oh, for the chase. I was like, oh, okay. Hung up and said, Jess, what have you done? But uh, 
Yeah, so I went on there and did okay. And then the same, pardon me, the same um, company produced this new show, Think Tank, and they yep. wanted me on there as a as a panelist. So it was, sort of came about through that. But that was, um, yeah, in late 2017, early 2018, I would fly um, back and forth from Broken Hill to Sydney and film that with the great uh, Paul McDermott was a host. And it was, yeah, a lot, a lot of fun. And there's been a, obviously they're very different um, viewing demographics, I guess, from uh, Think Tank to Big Brother. But uh, there's been a bit of weird crossover that it turns out a lot of Big Brother fans are also uh, Think Tank fans. So that's been nice to, to get a bit of Think Tank love. But that was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It never ceases just to amaze me, like the the crossover between different shows, like ones you'd never, ever, ever think. Like you might have a, a Master Chef fan and then you find out they're a fan of some show like Jersey Shore or something like that. And you're like, where did that even come from? Yeah, and that when I've been getting these messages, they're not from, you know, your, your 40, 50-year-old women or, or men that, are watch, that I would assume would be watching Think Tank. <laughs> they're, young, they're young kids and they're like, they, they're sending me like, messages of like videos of, of me on think tank and then like and have said oh i knew i knew you from somewhere i've been watching think tank for years i love it it's just like i didn't expect that maybe they're just using it to, to say hello but it's still nice to to see there's a lot of think tank love out there oh bloody oath then. and if anyone hasn't seen it i actually went i'd never heard of it i went back and i watched a few clips here and there online and there's plenty grass i don't know why it only lasted a season but it was good fun it's good value yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and uh, they, were, they were long days. We'd film um, three three shows in a day, but uh, to to be there and sort of um, I guess waxing lyric lyrically with the great Paul McDermott, as I said, was it was just hilarious. He is an amazing human being, and they were just some of the some of the funnest days I've had. He just made it a, a joy to to be in the studio with him. So you've gone from being a panelist on Think Tank um, and now being part of the Big Brother fraternity. How'd that come about? Was that something you wanted to do? Was that your fiance signing you up again? Or just a spur of the moment? What's happened there? No, I threw my own hat in the ring this time. So uh, this was my doing. Truth be told, I actually applied for Survivor because I'm Survivor mad. We, we love it. Um, and Endemol produce Big Brother as well this year, the, yep. the production company. So um, they actually shot me an email back saying, we've received your Survivor application. Uh, we really like it. Uh, we think he could fill a role that we're trying to fill on the upcoming Big Brother. And I said, oh, look, to be honest, I'm not that interested in Big Brother. You know, what it became by the end, a bunch of 25-year-old models all trying to, you know, get it on with each other. I'm like, that's, that's not me. That's not my scene. <laughs> yeah. And they, yeah. they sort of, they promised me, they said, no, it's, it's going to be more like your survivors and, and these sorts of shows with the strategy and the challenges. So I was like, yeah, sweet, I'm in. So then I reapplied for, for Big Brother. Um, and went through the whole process the same as every other every other housemate but i guess you could say in a sense it sort of was a targeted thing from then i guess they wanted to fill the uh the country country bogan role and uh, i was just right for it but yeah so that's how it all, all all came about but yeah pretty stoked that it ended up going that way actually yeah you beauty and um as you said like i'm a, I'm a massive survivor fan this year and and watching big brother i couldn't help but notice like how there was the similarities there Obviously, that's something you guys knew before going on the show. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, they yep. they filled us in and said, you know, it's it's not going to be your, your traditional Big Brother laying around the pool in Australia voting. It's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be pretty cutthroat. You're going to have to evict each other. It's going to be hard. It's going to be physical. Yep. Uh, we're going to take food off you. You know, you'll be living off rations. So yeah, I, I knew what I signed up for, and 
I was pretty excited for it, really. Yeah, no, it was it was good. At the start, it took me a while to get like my head around because oh, I was I was thinking this is going to be Big Brother from back in the day, and then all of a sudden I'm like, hold on, I just finished watching Survivor three weeks ago. Yeah, and yeah. So, by the end of it, it was awesome. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, Survivor in a warehouse, I guess. <laughs> exactly. And I think that a lot of the fans, like you're saying, probably struggled to get their head around that to start with. Um, yeah. And even fans through the end of it, like there was Dan and I, uh, for instance, copped a caught a bit of criticism for the for the way we we operated. But it's like, well, that was the game, you know. It's yeah, not the old Big Brother where we we sit around and just try and be funny so Australia keeps us in there. It was it was a cutthroat game that we were playing. So a lot of people did struggle to get their head around that. But once they did, I think a lot of people, like you're saying, really enjoyed the show, which is which is great. Now, mate. Down here in uh, Melbourne, we've got a footy club called the Calder Cannons. It's known as the Footy Factory, as they say. Footy Factory, I was like, yeah, yep. you took the words out of my mouth. The Footy uh, Factory, it's, yep. It's known for basically just producing players ready for the AFL. Turns out Broken Hills got its own Footy Factory, but it's the Big Brother Factory. I didn't realise that uh, <laughs> former winner Trevor Butler's from up your way. What's going on? What's in the water up there in Broken Hill? Yeah, I don't know. We just breed it. We just made the right stuff out here. I think we breed them well, but. Yeah, Trev, uh, back in 04, he uh, took, out the, took out the million dollar prize that year. So I wish we were playing for a million bucks. Well, not yeah. that I won, but um, yeah, Trev, a uh, bit of a local legend out here. I remember uh, when he was still living locally when, when, he, when he won and um, there was literally a lineup of kids out the front of his, his place where he was living to get, to get uh, photos and signatures with him. So that, that was quite humorous. So I haven't had him uh, knocking on my door yet, thank God. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Trev, that was, that was a great time to be in Broken Hill because there was big viewing parties. Everyone was at the pub because that's when it was all um, voted on by the public. So yep. I don't think there was any way he was ever going to gonna not win because the, the groundswell of support here was was insane for Trev. But yeah, he's a local legend for sure. Did you have much to do with him before you went on the show this time? Did you reach out to him or did he reach out to you? Bit of advice? Yeah, no, he, he reached out. Trev, Trev's been great. Even uh, through the whole show, he would sort of, uh, he got right into it. He, he said he started watching it to support me. And obviously as an ex, ex Big Brother uh, player, he, he obviously wanted to tune in and see what the new new version was like. But then he said he was hooked and he was giving me, I'll get nightly updates from, from Trev via, uh, via message about what he thought of the episode and how I'm playing. And um, But yeah, even beforehand, he was, he was really, really good. And uh, actually a lot of the um, ex Big Brother contestants have sort of, have reached out and also some of the Survivor contestants as well. So it's, it's really, really nice to, to talk to people and, and get feedback from people who have actually experienced it and been yeah. through the same cycle and uh, cop the same sort of stuff. So, yeah, big thank you to all of them because they've all been amazing. Yeah, it's massive. It's a, it's a very unique fraternity. Like, I'm, I'm tipping there's not many people that can really relate to, to what you guys have been through. No, and that's, that's the thing, even like... Even series to series is obviously very different. Like, and, and we're very well aware now that you know I'm one one of only twenty people that know exactly yeah. how it was in our house. But yep. all the ex contestants are, I guess, the next best thing because they've they've like I said all, all experienced it and all had their own um, memories and I guess experiences in there. But uh, yeah, it's been really good to actually compare stories and and just see what how they how they went about it and what they think of our of our series. So yeah, yeah. it's cool. Yeah, 100%. And, mate, one thing I've always wondered, it's sort of the same with Survivor, same with Big Brother. Like, at the back of your head, you know you're going in there to win. But on the first night when you walk in, I'm, I'm guessing that that prize 
is the furthest thing you're thinking of. And it's a bit like you're the, you're the new kid in class. You're walking in, the heart rate's going. You're thinking, how am I going to make friends? It would have been oh, bloody cracking. Night one, I was like... So they, they come and got me from our lockdown hotel, whacked the hood over my head, only took it off to put a mic on me, then put the hood back on me. And I, I wasn't supposed to speak, but I was sitting there and I said to the two uh, producers in the car with me, I said, I feel like Chappelle Corby. And they're like, please be quiet. Like, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, my heart was just racing. Obviously, get out of the car and there's bloody Sonia Kruger standing there. I never never thought I'd be talking to that lady unless I saw her at an airport or something and, you know, give her the Anya Sonia or something like that. Been a, been a dickhead, but... Uh, it was very um, overwhelming, I think, because normally in a social situation, I'm sort of one of the bigger voices or personalities in the room. And then walked into night one, there was 11 other people who were the exact same thing. And it was sort of like, whoa, here we go. This is, this is my life now for the next, you know, who, who, however many days. But there was a little moment where Xavier sort of took a step back and I, um, excuse me, stood next to him. I was like, mate, are you all right? And he goes, I don't know if this is me. And I was like, thank God you said it because I'm feeling the exact same here. Like, I don't know what I've got myself into. But yeah, it was definitely a feeling out process to start with. Yeah, I'm imagining it would have been bloody stressful, I reckon. Um, Mate, who made the best first impression on you? And who, so like, whose first impression changed over time? Was there someone that you immediately thought, geez, I'm not going to get along with them? But then as time went on, you sort of gravitated towards? Uh, probably, probably Kieran was the yep. one that, uh, stuff I was just like, I can't handle this bloke, you know, like, um, but by the end of it, he'd sort of trudge into the living room and it's like, you know, what? I love this guy. I can't help but like him. Like he's just such a, just such a likable person and just absolutely no idea, which is yep. why he's so likable, I think. But, uh, yeah, probably best first impression was, um, obviously I knew, I knew who Dan was, night one, so obviously knew there was going to be a lot of common ground there and I was going to get along well with him, which obviously played out that way. And then also Xavier, when we had that little moment where we were both standing there going, what the hell's going on here? What the bloody hell is this? Yeah, I knew that I was going to get along well with him as well. But uh, Kieran was probably the one who who changed my mind the most, I guess. (laughs) Now, Now, mate, as viewers, we only get like a snippet of what's going on in the Big Brother house. I think it's something like for each episode, it's three or four days condensed into one or something like that i want to know some of the best bits that didn't make the screens what are some of your uh your best stories or your best memories that we didn't get to see oh uh, there was one night early in the piece where garth actually dressed ian and i up in in drag um and we played the spoons because we obviously didn't have music and we were having a limbo competition we said oh we need music and garth said oh come in here boys and 20 minutes later, Ian and I emerged dressed in full drag and uh, played the spoons while, the, while everyone else played played limbo. But uh, I actually looked like a fat fortune teller. I had this weird like thing on my head. I don't even know what it was. But uh, Ian named himself Broccoli because he said, it might not taste good, but it's good for you. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, that was a lot of fun. And there was also a few other housemates have spoken about it. Uh, we were... Trying to get, because Kieran's um, doesn't have a girlfriend, never sort of had a girlfriend, so uh, you won't mind me saying that. So we said, right, we're going to uh, we're going to prepare you, mate, because outside this show, your Tinder's going to start going off. So we sort of set up like a little mock bar in the uh, in the lounge room, and Hannah was the the single girl that Kieran had to approach and uh, and work his magic with, and uh, it was bloody hilarious. I think the first his first pickup line, he said you're nice looking. Do you have a hot sister? And we're like, mate, <laughs> go back out, come back in, start again. But 
uh, was actually hilarious. And uh, he ended up getting a little little peck from Hannah, a little, little bit of kissing practice. So I, we were shocked that that didn't, didn't make the cut. Good on him, mate. Good on him. That's a, uh, uh, that's, legend. That's a, it's a good, uh, yeah, it's an uplifting story. It was awesome, and and actually Hannah was she was such a good sport because she was going redder and redder with his with his pickup lines. Like one of one of them was like, "Do you like food? I'm from Adelaide. We have nice food, and I love food." And we're like, "Mate, go out, start again." <laughs> start again. <laughs> if your go-to pickup line is, "Do you have a hot sister?" I'm tipping yeah. that doesn't go down too well. No, I don't think too many girls would uh, would appreciate, appreciate that. But no, it was. Yeah. Hannah was a great sport, and uh, Kieran, by the end, he actually improved a lot. So I think we, we, our work there was done. <laughs> no. Good on him. Now, mate, uh, a bit of a side note, but you got engaged to your lovely longtime girlfriend, uh, Jessica, in Saragota Springs. They say it's the Broken Hill of upstate New York. That's what I've been told. <laughs> um, I've been told that uh, you were given a few of the boys in the house just the, uh, the practice on bending the knee. Is that correct? You you fancied yourself as uh, as the model as the model of uh, I guess <laughs> engagements and whatnot. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I was giving the boys a few pointers. You know, uh, I did the traditional got on the knee, but then I produced a uh, a blueberry flavored lolly lollipop ring instead of a instead of an actual engagement ring. So um, yeah, I was just giving the boy boys a few pointers. I was in a beautiful national park over there, and like you say, up upstate New York and. It was pretty funny because this guy come jogging along this track and he's, as I got on my knee, I, I turned to my left and he went, oh, oh sorry, sorry. <laughs> and then went all the way back around. And anyway, he's looked up and I'm like, oh, good. He's like, yeah. So it, yeah. Was, uh, it was a celebration. It was pretty funny. And it was, uh, it's actually a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. If you ever get, uh, or if coronavirus ever buggers off and uh, you get the chance to go over there, I recommend having a look. It's magnificent. Yeah, it's a big if, but uh, if it yeah. ever buggers off, I'll, I'll try and get there. <laughs> mate, one of the other things that I got from a uh, certain housemate was that you love your fishing. Is that correct? My fishing? Yeah, I was told that you caught a terrific barramundi while you're in the house. What's the uh, what's the backstory here? Oh, uh, <laughs> Casey, Casey, Casey. Uh, it's, look, it's a... It's a bit of a long story, but I'll just be honest and come out with it. Uh, we, we were very respectful of each other in there, um, girls and boys, and the boys would shower together, the girls would shower together. And I went in for a shower on my own, and Casey walked in on me, and uh, I was like, oh, sorry about that. And she's like, no, no, all good. And then I said, right, can this be like a, uh, a fishing story where if you catch a sardine on Monday, by Wednesday, it's like a great white <laughs> shark. Goes, won't give you shark, but what if we go with barramundi? I'm like, yeah, it's a barramundi. <laughs> Better than tadpole, mate. We'll take it. (laughs) But yeah, thank you very much for that case, you bludger. (laughs) Mate, as much as I'd love to sit here and uh, compare fishing stories all day, there is uh, some more important stuff that I want to move on to. Covered all the good bits of the show and it sounds like, it genuinely sounds like it was a terrific experience. But I'm guessing the moment it's hit the TV screens, that experience might have changed a bit. Before the Big Brother experience kicked off and you went on the show and you've dealt with everything since. Um, was mental health something that you're aware of firsthand? Was it something you'd seen mates or family go through? What was your level of awareness? Uh, yeah, it's something I'm uh, being very aware of, I think, from a sort of a younger age. Uh, back in 2008, one of my uh, football teammates played in a premiership with, with uh the great Bryce Zannon, he uh, took his own life uh, when he was, I was only, what was I in 08? I was 18 and I think Bryce was 24. 
Um, so ever since then, our footy club especially has um, sort of made it uh, a real focus uh, of, of people within the club and uh, especially younger younger people coming through. And um, yeah, it's something I'm, I'm pretty passionate about. Even uh, at the start of this year, uh, a young lad, uh, Baden Quinn, a, a really, really, really beautiful young fella from, uh, from Broken Hill, uh, from, from a different footy club to me, but that doesn't matter. He unfortunately uh, took his own life at the start of this year as well. So uh, it's something that I think is very prevalent uh, especially in a place like, like Broken Hill out here. And it's probably, um, I, I guess it's just one of those places full of, full of tough miners, tough footballers, your typical sort of, you know, country blokes where it's, it's probably not uh, as, as seen as okay to, to not be okay. Um, yeah. And a lot of people probably put on a bit of a front. So, yeah, it's something that I'm trying to, you know, obviously with doing things like this, try and promote it and just, you know, make – get the message across that it's it's okay to not be okay so but yeah very very well aware of uh mental health issues especially in a place uh, like this just on the youth statistics as well um yeah it's crazy to see like how prevalent it is um among youth as well it's um, i think i think correct me if i'm wrong but I, i'm pretty certain that suicide is the the number one killer of males under the age of 40 i think yeah and that is just an insane stat. When I when I heard that, it's like that's like that. Yeah, we, we need to change that. Like it's and when you I consider, don't know, I just, don't know what the average lifespan is. I think it might be like eighty five or ninety, whatever it is in Australia. When that's the leading cause of death in under forties, that's half a life lost. Like yeah, when you put it yeah. when you put it that way, that's forty forty five years, whatever it is that someone's forfeited for whatever reason and it keeps happening until i sort of um did a little bit of research about it it just some of the stats and figures is just mind-blowing and it's i i'm lucky enough that i haven't had any issues personally but um it's just sad that people can get to that point in their life where that they see that as their a as their only option or b as their as their best option and yeah hopefully by uh people doing great work like yourself um, that you can, we can start changing those, those statistics a bit for the, for the better, hopefully. Yeah. hundred percent. And as prevalent it is among like the general population, people in your position in terms of reality TV, I reckon there's so much more like pressure on, on people in that position. Um, basically at its core, like reality TV is about watching and then judging people, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, and in the past, when Trevor, for example, when he was on Big Brother, it was, it would be on the TV, you'd consume it, but then there's no social media really around. There might be a magazine article here and there, but we've come to this point where our generation is like so ingrained in social media that someone can be watching this show and as, as soon as they see something that they like, they can jump on, send you a DM, send whoever it is a message, not knowing that they might have an underlying mental health issue that they're just making worse. It's, yeah, personally wasn't ready, I think, for the enormity of it. And just the fact, like, the last couple of weeks, it was just insane as far as abusive comments, abusive um, direct messages. And, like, luckily, once again, I'm, I'm okay. And it's water off a duck's back to me. But these people need to realise that um, w- most people, I know I do, I'll, I'll read the messages. We see these messages. We see the comments. And you might think that your your little stupid comment won't have any effect, but like you say, if someone's got an underlying issue 
and they're teetering on the brink and they might open your DM and read it and that might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And you never know that. You just think, oh, it's just a stupid message. You're not going to see it. But but people people do see them and they do read them. And even though we, we don't know these trolls and half of them don't even have their face or their real name to their account, but it's just the when you're opening hundreds of messages along the same lines every every after every episode, you know, saying you're a dog or you're you're, you're this, you're that, go and kill yourself. Like it's it's just the weight of it and just the amount of it is enough to make you think like bloody hell, like was this worth doing? And that's not how I think you should feel. Going on a show like that, you should be, um, and I am proud and happy that you've done it. And it, there was times there where I definitely was, was questioning that. So yeah. For whatever reason, there seems to be like a disconnect between the consumer and the person on the TV because they're on the TV. Like it's the same with athletes. It's the same with actors. It's the same with reality TV where it's like you wouldn't say those things to someone you knew but because you guys are on the tv it's it's almost like there's this this free reign people think that they have the uh yeah. the warrant to do that and like you say if you wouldn't do it to someone you know what why say it to us like we're people too i mean i'm sitting here in my bloody office in in broken hill like i'm a normal person yeah i was on big brother but that doesn't make me any different to to the next joe blogs that you, you that you pass in the street you know it's just I don't know. I saw Kevin Hart on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast the other day and he, uh, he said, like, they were talking about all the negativity online and on social media and Kevin Hart said it's, it's not cool to be positive anymore and he used the example mm. of the movie Titanic and he said, you know, Titanic, great movie, everyone loves it until someone jumps online and goes, man, I hated Titanic. And they say, well, what didn't you like about it? And they go, oh, I don't want to talk about that, I just hate it. And then someone else goes, yeah, I hated it too. And then the third person goes, I hated it too. And they're like, why did you hate it? He goes, man, I don't even know what we're talking about. So it's just this, it's just popular to just pile on and, you know, have a crack, you know, and jump online and, and have a go at myself or Dan or Talia or, or whoever after an episode. It's like, I didn't like what they did in that 90 minutes of television. Don't don't take into account that it's three and a half days worth of stuff that's been crammed in to make a TV show. Yeah, I didn't like what Matt said to Sophie that day, so I'm going to jump online and tell him to go kill himself. Like, what's the point? What, yep. what are you getting out of that? Like, I, don't, I just... It astounds me. And I've never um, trolled anyone online or, or done anything like that. And, and I don't think I ever would. But having experienced it myself, it, yeah, it's given me such respect for people like actual celebrities, you know, like your actors and your, your athletes and that. Like, I, I cannot imagine what they would, would cop on the daily. So full respect to everyone. Yeah. And go through, I don't know, someone like Tex Walker, Dane Beams, whoever it is. Yeah, they might have had an average game of the weekend, but that doesn't give you free reign to just bloody unload on them. You're all this, you're that. You need to go, yeah, kill yourself, whatever it is. It's um, it's just insane, mate. The, the other the other thing as well that I want to touch on, and it, does, it hasn't really affected us um, as much, but it's probably more so along the uh, the athletes um, line, is just the media too. Like, yeah. there's zero accountability. On, on people in media circles now. They can jump online. Like I read an article um, this morning about Billy Gowers uh, the other night. He had a bad game. But oh, the Supercoach article or whatever it yeah, was. The Supercoach article. Yeah. Like, what is that? He yeah. knows he didn't play well. And now, he, now he opens up bloody Herald Sun or whatever it was on and sees this bloke piling it on him. It's like, well, okay, mate. I know it's your job to be a journalist, but, you know, Where's he Bill Long Shaw, he, he knows that he, that he was no good the other night. And then he opens this up and reads it, and they wonder why they have mental health issues, like in 
in AFL, like why why it's so prevalent. And like and Dane Beams, yeah, he's got his issues, but you know, people piling it on him all the time, it's not helping. Like it's just yep. and there's zero zero accountability. They can write and say what they want and then never held accountable for their actions or for their words, which I think really needs to change in Australian society. Yeah, and that's that's sort of one of the things that I wanted to touch on. We're as a society we're quick to to jump on causes like Are You Okay Day and we, we identify that social media can be bad for our mental health and our mental well-being, but then in the same breadth of saying, are you okay? Someone's commenting on a page, on a person's photo, yet basically just completely going against the, uh, the cause that they stand for. It's, um, yeah, it's a very roundabout sort of system. It's, as you say, it does it need is. to change. I think a lot of the people that, whilst it's great that they get their, you know, if they're sharing something, they're getting the message out there. But I think a lot of people do just jump on things because they think it's trendy. It's cool. Like similar with the, the black lives matter stuff. Like, yeah, you put your, your black square on Instagram, but do you actually know what it's about? Like, yep. I think half of it is just trying to be cool and sort Can't of jump on a social to... media. It, exactly. Mate. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, now you said you're underprepared in terms of the, the mental health side of things. Um, did the network give you any resources to pre like to prepare yourself for um, that transition? Um, was there anything that you implemented that helped sort of keep positive mental well-being? Because I know you said that it hasn't really, you haven't really let it affect you. What sort of um, stopped that from happening? Do you think? Uh, so yeah, the net- network and uh, the production company are really really great. We've had uh, two psychs available to us. Um, 24 seven, we, we could ring them if we wanted to. We also have a, a wellness manager. She was in touch with us uh, most days, particularly on days that the, the show was, was airing. Um, and also there's, we have access to, to doctors and we, we did a um, resilience coaching session with a, a sort of life coach, which I took, took a lot out of. And I think um, I was consuming a lot of the, the social media stuff early on. Like I'd, after an episode, I'd jump on, on to say the Big Brother Facebook account and I'd read the, the posts on there. And I just, after about a week, I was like, this is not good. It's not healthy. Yep. So or, or I, I didn't read any of that anymore. I didn't, you know, read any Daily Mail articles or any of that. I just, yeah, I still copped a lot um, on my Instagram and in my direct, direct messages and that. But it was at a more sort of manageable level, I think. I was getting a bit bit caught up in the, you know, at times they're feeling like Australia's most hated bloke. But then, and the other good thing is that uh, my friends and family, and as I said, past contestants and survivor people, a lot of them reached out um, in a supporting way and getting, I found that getting um, a supportive message from someone who actually knows me or someone who's actually been through the same process, that was the equivalent to probably 50 abusive comments or messages. And that, that sort of really helped um, drown it out. And I made it sort of my, mission i guess to try and put my time into my fellow housemates because i know uh a few of them were were struggling casey was one in particular she won't mind me saying but i'd sort of um yeah sort of made it my mission i guess to to try and keep them in a, in a good frame of mind because it it, sh- it should be as i said before a joyful experience you know getting the opportunity to go and have a crack at this game and at times a lot of the housemates probably didn't didn't feel like that. So I tried to make it my mission to put my energy into sort of uh, helping them stay happy, I guess. So yeah, yeah, that that was sort of how I went about it. Yeah. It's, it's good that the, like the network provides 
like that um, training, I guess, and for that transition because I was doing a bit of research and one of the things that I didn't know was, do you know the show Love Island? Yeah, yeah. One of the things that came up was within the space of two years or a year, three of the people on the, the UK version had committed suicide after the show finished clash that they were getting. Yeah. And um, yeah. to hear that, that that support was given to you because obviously in those cases the, the support wasn't. Yeah, and I, I honestly can't say enough about um, Endemol and, and Channel 7. And I think they're very aware of the society that we're now a part of and, yeah, obviously put things in place to... And that just wasn't for me either. That was um, Jess, uh, my parents or anyone that was, you know, sort of along, along for the ride with me. Um, they were also in contact with the, with the wellness manager and had access to the, to the psychs as well. So they were, they were great. So, mate, moving away from the mental health experience tied to the Big Brother house, one of the things I was curious about was obviously while you were filming, the coronavirus pandemic was beginning to, to unfold at a pretty quick rate in Australia and you guys were, for the most part, kept in the dark. What was it like going from that house environment into the thick of things with, I guess, lockdown, with, um, with all these restrictions in place? What was that? transition like like in terms of mental well-being coming out into i came out on the 2nd of april i think it was so that was sort of peak pandemic you know and the first night out of the house i stayed in a hotel on manly beach and the the driver and i had a a minder um with me and then we we swung into manly like downtown manly which is normally just a you know bustling um society i guess and uh, there was literally no one there. And I said to Rocco, the driver, I was like, Rocco, where is everyone, man? He's like, this is life now. It's been like this for about a month. I'm like, why? He goes, coronavirus. Everything's shut. There wasn't yeah. a, a shop open, not a lot. And then we'd get to the hotel to check in and they're masked up. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And then the next day flew home and literally in the Sydney airport, I don't know if you've been to the Sydney airport, it's normally probably hundreds of thousands of people. There was 50 people, I reckon, in the whole terminal. And it was just like a zombie apocalypse. And even coming home and then going straight into a two-week um, quarantine as well, it was just like, wow, this I have missed so much. And yeah. I don't think I'll ever be as blown away by anything, um, in a sense, as, as, as much as I was coming out of the house into what life and, you know, I guess realising what life has now become. And it's even now it's still surreal and it, it doesn't – like I miss the – the, the, the peak of it, I guess, when there was no food on the shelves, when people were fighting over toilet paper. But it was funny, when I came out of my two-week quarantine, I went, I went to Coles, just locally here, and I saw one of my mates who I haven't seen for, for young. So I was like, hey, day, how are you, big fella? And he's like, good, mate, and just took off. And I was like, what was that about? And then got home, and I said to Jess, I saw, saw Ado, and he didn't want to have a chat. And she's like, no, you don't chat at the supermarket. You get your stuff and get out of there. So I was yeah. just, just completely unaware of that. So it was quite, quite funny, really. Yeah, mate, that, that, that sort of caught me by surprise a few times. You, you sort of get halfway into a handshake and then you go, oh, wait, no, hold on. Can't do that now. Yeah, yeah. when I got back to work, my, my boss, he's like, welcome back. I said, oh, thanks for letting me have the holidays. He's like, whoa, whoa, we don't shake hands anymore. I was like, oh, shit, we don't either. What do we elbow bump for? <laughs> yeah, bit of a crazy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mate. <laughs> and that brings us back to, to Broken Hill. Like, you've got a soft spot for it. But has going through this period been made easier or harder being from a country town because on one hand like everyone's got each other's back I imagine in a close-knit community like that but on the other as you said before there's a prevalence of mental health issues in these country towns but there's no real resources or education to deal with it. Uh, I think 
it's definitely been a positive uh, for me. This the the support that I've had from the, the whole town has been so supportive and just got behind me from from episode one, and they rode the whole roller coaster with me. And it's something that I'll I don't think I'll ever be able to to thank everybody enough for. Like I had random people in the street. It's sort of one of those towns that you not it's big enough that not everyone knows every single person but a lot of people are aware of especially like i play footy a lot of people go watch footy whatever but i had random people just sort of pulling me up in the street or at coles and just saying you know thank you uh, for for i guess putting us on the map giving us something to watch as a family that, the ones that i liked the most were um uh families that were or people that had families contacting me and saying you know we, we really love sitting down um each night watching it as a family having a laugh so that was that sort of reaffirmed to me that I, I did it for the right reasons and and you know um, I think I made everyone here proud and it, it definitely helped um, get through it all because even people from you know opposition football clubs and that when we hate each other's guts during the season they were all sending me messages you know getting behind me on Facebook so it was yeah really really touching and definitely helped my my cause I think um, mate what do you think can be implemented? in these rural towns to help promote mental health awareness? Because as you said before this, yeah, there probably is that tendency to put up a facade and oh, I'm all good, don't need any help. But deep down, like there can be things going on. Well, I think it's, and it's starting to happen more um, in places like, and I'll keep going back to it, but football football clubs, um, like the mine site where I work, where there's, you know, 400 blokey blokes, you know, it's slowly starting to creep in, um, I guess with more training and um, awareness and just people being able to feel that they're in a, a safe enough place to just say, you know, I'm, I'm not all right here. And it's, yeah. and it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's about, I guess, breaking down that sort of toxic masculinity still exists in a lot of, a lot of senses out here. Um, but uh, there's a guy, he's, he used to play footy and that, but he's, he's on, a, on a property around town, um, about 30, 40K out of town, and just got absolutely um, smashed by the drought and like financially and just mentally and got into some really bad places. And he's put his hand up and you know, admitted he wasn't all right. And now he's actually become a, a lifeline ambassador in, in town. And some of the work he's doing is, is phenomenal. And he's actually... Um, it's been canned for the for the mo- for the uh, for the moment, but he's actually going to swim the the English Channel, and he's oh, raised um, he's raised a heap of cash um, to yeah to do it. So hopefully he can get over there and and do that. But yeah, it's I think seeing people like him, um, you know, being outward with it, and then hopefully, as I said before, someone like myself um, doing say a podcast like this or promoting the message. Hopefully, it, it can reach the people that that need it and. Um, like I said, they feel they're in a safe space and they can admit how they feel because it's super important to to not bottle your feelings up. You need to you have feelings for a reason, but don't, I guess, hold on to them. You need to yeah. express them and, and let them go through your body and then move on. But and there's nothing wrong. Yeah, hopefully, with um, expressing it. Hopefully that. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully with things like the work that Brendan, the guy I'm talking about, is doing, it really helps keep keep breaking down those walls. I'll have to um, I'll have to get the the link off you if that fundraiser is still going and I'll um, I'll pop it up in the show notes or something like that and we'll see if we can get some more. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll try. I'm not sure if he's still money. if he's not sure if he's um, capped the the fundraising, but yeah, I'll definitely track down the uh, track down the info and a, and a story about it because it's pretty pretty inspiring. And he's he's from uh, literally on a property, so he, he goes to there's a lake about 50k from where he lives, so he he drives to the lake and that's where he swims to practice around, around the lake. So. 
Good yeah, on. it's pretty funny because he joined one of the local swim clubs and I'll get down the pool a bit and, you know, most of the, the swimmers, sort of the oldest one's probably about 16 and then there's BC or, or Brendan there. He's uh, early 40s sitting there in his dick stickers and his cap ready to jump <laughs> in with the, with the kids. So he's he's worked hard, but uh, yeah, he swims like a fish now. So hopefully uh, he can get over there and, and get it done. Yeah, good on him. Uh, last one, I reckon just touching on what you just said, like that education side of things is so important because with mental health awareness, like a one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work. What works for me isn't going to work for some bloke who's 50-something years old in Broken Hill who's grown up in a complete different like environment to me. And there's an organisation, I think it's called um, Are You Bogged or something like that. And she, she goes out to country towns like Broken Hill and she basically educates mental health awareness, but in terms of like it caters to the people from that area. So one of the things is she's like, all right, when you're running your car and the pressure gets too high, what's going to happen? And someone goes, oh, it's going to break down. She goes, yeah, it's going to be fucked, isn't it? And then <laughs> all, all the guys are like, oh, yeah, my car's not going to run. So just sort yeah. of educating it to, to your audience, I think that's a major thing. Yeah, 100%. And once again, that's why I think someone like Brendan, I know I keep talking about him, but a lot of people in town uh, can relate to him. Yep. And just at, at you know, his age, his early 40s, he's your, he's your typical blokey bloke. He's a, you know, he live, lives on a property. He's, you know, he's a hard as nails sort of bloke but I think him relaying the message a lot of guys in town especially can really relate to that and think you know what if it's okay for BC it's okay for me too so that, I think that's yeah really important to like you say it's not, it's not a one size fits all thing for sure and uh, everybody's different and it's important to remember that as well yeah beauty mate um, before we go if I could get one piece of advice from you regarding mental health whether it be like you've got Something that's something that's worked for you, something that you've come across, um, something that maybe the network gave you, just something that sort of resonated around the whole topic. What do you think it would be? Uh, I th- I think uh, there was what was a quote that I read. Um, the ones that the ones that matter don't mind, and the ones that mind don't matter. So, yeah. and that's in regards to people that don't know you that are you know say if you're in my position, getting online and slandering you like their opinion is not worth a pinch of salt. So just let it fly. But um, I think for me personally, uh, especially coming out of Big Brother, I'm very much more, I'm more willing to, as I said, allow myself to feel certain ways, process it and let it, and then move on. And I think my, my number one tip and my, my biggest thing to de-stress is uh, just exercise. I, I yep. love it. Like, if I, and that was one, a big thing because um, I'd, I'd get nervous before shows thinking, how's tonight going to go? So I'd just chuck the AirPods in, go and, go and run the streets for half hour and, or, or jump on the pushy or, you know, go and do a swim. And um, I think, as silly as it sounds, just going for a kick of the footy with my mates is one of the most therapeutic things in life for me. So, yeah, get out and get active. Uh, that's it, mate. Um, I cannot thank you enough, as I said before, for coming on. You're an absolute legend. Really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, genuinely... Uh, Wish the best for you, mate. I'm, I'm so appreciative for you coming on. No, no, thank you very much for having me, mate. And uh, like I said, people doing good work like this, like yourself, uh, hopefully anything like this just helps keep keeping on breaking down those barriers and, and those walls. And as, as the uh, saying goes, it's okay to not be okay. And if you keep promoting that message, that's only going to help the situation, mate. So great stuff and thanks for having me. I'll, uh, I'll see you for a beer up in Broken Hill one day. Mate, can't wait. If you're ever in the area, sing out and uh, the first couple are on me. (laughs) Easy, mate. Catch you then.